0: As an Irish diplomat, you have risen to the highest ranks in your profession, becoming your country's ambassador to the United States. But of course, this was not your first time on this side of the pond. In fact, this was not even your first work assignment in the United States. For that, you need to go back more than 40 years to a little family-run cafe in Kansas City. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of Exchange Stories.
1: I can tell you, the song I, I remember most was Ricky Don't Lose That Number from, by Steely Dan. And, I, and I, to that very, this day, I bought every single one of the, the records or CDs that they've issued. And I still, when I, when I play Pretzel Logic, it, it brings me back to my um, dorm room in Kansas City and to my, um, to my summer of uh, 1974. Ricky Don't Lose That Number
0: This week toasted buns and cheese sandwiches. Ricky, don't lose that number, and beginning to form a worldview of one's own. Join us on a journey from Cork, Ireland to Kansas City, Missouri, and a first taste of the wider world. It's 2233.
1: We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. Exchanges shaped who
0: I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's
1: what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yeah. So my name is um, Daniel Mulhall and I'm the uh, ambassador of Ireland to the United States since uh, August 2017. In 1974, the summer of 74, I participated in the summer work travel program and I spent about three months in Kansas City at that time. friend of mine at uh, University College Cork just suggested to me one day in the winter of 73 that maybe we should try and uh, do something um, different for the summer and before that I'd always worked in my hometown for the summer and so I I wasn't sort of driven by a kind of a an economic motive it was much more um, a motive of you know doing something different and getting to see and experience uh, another country. So we decided uh, on the spur of the moment that we would apply to participate in this summer work travel program and we became one of um, 150,000 young Irish people who've taken part in this program over the last 50 years and we spent a very happy uh, summer in Kansas City and also we traveled a little bit to Colorado and then to Boston and New York. So it was my first proper time abroad, my first... um, Training course in diplomacy, in other words, of being a flying solo um, across the Atlantic and then operating solo in a different country in a different environment for a three-month period. Mm-hmm. We thought we were, we knew everything, but of course, I now know we knew. Nothing, almost nothing, very little anyway. I remember the first night in Chicago. It was my first time seeing a really big city, you know, with high-rise buildings. We didn't have high-rise buildings in Ireland in those days. Of course, I knew about New York. The New York skyline was, was even in those days, was famous. But the first experience that you'll think is hilarious now, um, from the perspective of 2019, is we arrived there we stayed in in a local student hostel, and we were hungry. We went across the street, we went to a the nearest restaurant, was a pizza restaurant. Neither of us had ever heard of pizza before that time, right? So, <laughs> I mean, it, that seems extraordinary now because every Irish village today has a pizza place. You can get delivery pizza anywhere in Ireland now and people are very familiar with it. It's a—it's probably a, a, a seen as a national dish these days in Ireland. But we were two 19-year-olds from a, a city of 50,000 people and yet neither of us had ever come across this phenomenon of a pizza before. So that was, that was the first kind of uh, shock or realisation that, that not all the world was the same as what we were used to back at home, despite how worldly-wise and how well-informed we thought we were. <music> I didn't have much of a an understanding of America before I arrived in Kansas City, to be quite honest with you. I suppose, like most people of my era, it was mainly information we had was mainly gleaned from newspapers, from watching American programs on on television, and from, of course, American film. It was Hollywood, largely, that generated the images that we brought with us. But I suppose what impressed me was that I knew about New York, but I didn't expect Kansas City to be quite as as advanced a place as it was. I mean, if I had any image of Kansas City, it was probably more rustic, more rural, more a more traditional image, drawn from probably uh, seeing references and and seeing films that were set in Kansas City in you know um, decades or centuries before that gave an impression of it as being a kind of like a frontier town, whereas. When you got there, you realized it was a a fairly sophisticated uh, modern city with with a city center that was as impressive as anything I'd seen anywhere. Well, we were extremely fortunate that we were sponsored by two amazing Irish-Americans. It was Eddie Aylward and John J. Sullivan Jr. Two, one a lawyer, one a banker, both at the peak of their careers, both in their 40s 50s both now sadly deceased but they were just magnificent people they took us in hand and they took us out to to dinner on a regular basis and made sure that we were going to be properly fed <laughs> which is always was a priority when you're a 19 year old student in a in a foreign country and they um, they got us tickets for ball games and i experienced my first uh, american football game in Kansas City and my first my first baseball game there too so i still have a a sort of a a feeling, a fondness for the royals and the chiefs, so these things, uh, the the accident of where you end up, gives you a kind of a lifelong um, interest in something that you never thought you would have an interest in before. John Sullivan and Eddie Aylward were, were the they were the I mean they were the epitome of kindness and I was delighted on my return visit to meet their relatives. And it was great to be able to say to them publicly how much these people um, helped us, how much how kind they were to us, how they they really did take us in hand and give us a magnificent experience of America, which frankly on our own we couldn't have, have had. I don't know how, how we we would have survived, but it would have been a much more, um, a much more limited experience. We would have had had it not been for their generosity. <music> Obviously, it was made easy for us by having these two wonderful mentors there, who looked after us so well. But you know, moving into rooms uh, in uh, at Rockers. College now, Rockhurst University, settling there and and feeling it was home there for the, the period we were there, and getting to know some of the other students who were staying. So we, we, we you know we felt pretty settled uh, pretty quickly. We got a job within a few days, and uh, and therefore had the routine of of going to work and meeting. Everyday Americans who were working in this diner where we were uh, working—it's still there. In fact, I went back to visit it recently, and uh, it still hasn't hasn't changed very much. It's still remarkably still uh, still in business and still um, still serving the needs of of its customers in the Kansas City area. I was in the kitchen, and I, I helped to uh, I, I, I toasted the buns and uh, cooked the cheese uh, sandwiches. So it was. Uh, in fact, I, I now realized it was probably. The last job I that I ever did other than uh, education and uh, diplomacy so it's been a it was a last experience of working in a, in a in a regular kind of environment. I still learned a lot from the people I worked with who were who were very nice and uh, appeared to me to be regular Americans so there were regular people either students who were working there for the summer or people who were working there long term and I, in fact I met a woman uh, in Kansas City my return visit there who worked in this um, diner for 53 years and her mother worked there before her so that's uh that's kind of continuity of a kind that you don't get in many many walks of life these days well i i felt quite emotional about it to be honest with you i when I spoke at the Irish Center in Kansas City um, during my visit, I, I, I had a sudden kind of feeling of, uh, that, I was, that my throat was catching and that I was a little bit sort of um, emotional. Now, I, I did feel for a moment there a kind of a sense of, gosh, I was here 45 years ago. Isn't that extraordinary? And normally you go through life and you, you're not confronted all that often with the kind of the sort of reality of the passage of time. But uh, when you go to a place for the first time in 45 years, you can't help but be that bit more um, affected by the whole experience. And I, I certainly was, and my wife who was with me, who of course I met long, well a number of years after I, I, I uh, was in Kansas City, she felt it was quite an emotional experience for me too, going back to places that I'd been to as a 19 year old. What I see is the road trip we did from Kansas City to Colorado, to Denver and up around the Rockies. Uh, John Sullivan had a habit of every two years he gave his old car to a priest in New Mexico. So we drove out, met the priest in Denver, took the old car back from the priest and drove it back. So we were away for about a week, but driving across the Great Plain between um, Kansas City and Denver is quite something because it is flat as a pancake and there's hardly anything there apart from small places where you stop for a, for a cup of coffee, and get some gas in your your in your, for your car, or have lunch or whatever, and then you move on. But and there are you know, grain silos to be seen in the distance. That's that, that's really, But that, that, that's the kind of the you know the image that I can you know recall most. It's not a spectacular image, but it was one that was was was, uh, was quite striking for me. I'd never seen a a plane as long and flat as that uh, in my um, entire nineteen years of life before that time. The sound is definitely, and again you you laugh at this because it seems so uh, old world, but. FM music stations because in those days Ireland had one radio station which played pop rock music maybe a few hours a week there were a couple of programs but you could listen to but we tended to listen to pirate radio. My generation were absolutely wild about pop and rock music. That was our window on the world. That was that was how we kind of broadened our vision. So when I came to America, um, I had a little pocket radio and I could listen every night and every morning to FM radio, that was quite something. And also in the, in the common room uh, of the uh, place where I was staying, there was an FM station on all the time. And I would sit there just sort of, just, just enjoying the, um, you know the sounds of America uh, which of course was also the sound of my generation so it felt as if somehow the music made us belong to this country that produced all this great music and that you could now hear you know not just three or four hours a week but every day and uh, for as many hours you wanted to hear it so I I, I, strange but true you know reflection on, on how different America was in those days for somebody coming from Ireland who was fascinated by by pop music and rock music but I couldn't really get enough of it at all. It, it certainly did diversify my culinary um, experience. Ireland is a great food island these days and every village in Ireland has a, a fine dining restaurant. That wasn't the case in the 1970s by any means. The culinary experience that we had with Eddie Aylward and John Sullivan were probably the, the first really good dining experiences that we had. The college restaurant in uh, University College Cork would not have been to the standard of, uh, of a good restaurant that a, a banker or a lawyer would want to um, take you to in Kansas City in the 1970s. I also got to know about the kind of American work ethic which I was impressed by and uh, there was a man at the the diner he was an African-American man he was married he was probably in his 40s I would say at the time um, he was a very nice and very intelligent man who had lots to say for himself and, and was quite a good talker and, and you know uh, during our breaks he would he, he would chat to us he was interested in the fact that we were from a faraway country and and he told me that he did three jobs, you know, in order to be able to provide for his family and buy a nice car that he really prided himself in. So that for me was a kind of a, an eye-opener because it wasn't something that I was familiar with before uh, coming to America was this kind of, you know, willingness to really work very long hours in order to achieve particular goals in life, yeah. And that was, that, that was, uh, that was good, that was good to, uh, to hear. People at the diner, for example, often asked questions about Ireland, and I would and I would give them a kind of a, a rundown. We had at that stage just joined the European Union, so we were a, newly a European Union uh, member state. The troubles in Northern Ireland, of course, were were, were already a f- well-known international story at that stage. So I did end up explaining to people what was happening in Northern Ireland as I saw it at that time, and I'm not saying my knowledge at the time was a particularly um, deep or, or profound, but but I did try to, to explain to people what the situation in Northern Ireland was all about. And I remember going to dinner with uh, John Sullivan in particular. He was uh, very interested in politics and international relations, so we would discuss international issues with him and political issues with him quite a lot. And so I, I, I appreciated that opportunity to talk to, a, to an older but highly informed person about American politics, American life, and also some of the international issues that were current at that time. I suppose just having been there for three months, having thrived and having, having managed that business of being a, way, being a long way from home, I mean, remember... When I was at university, I was only eighty miles from home, so it's hardly uh, being away at all and in America, of course, you know in those days you couldn't phone home. it was expensive to phone home there was no internet so so you were really on your own for for a period and I suppose that was for me the the ultimate achievement was to 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 prove to myself that I could live an autonomous life, albeit with a lot of help from uh, from John Sullivan and Eddie Aylward. But nonetheless, that it, was, it was something that I, uh, I, I, when I joined the Foreign Service, like, it wasn't the prospect of going abroad and living in another country wasn't so intimidating as it would have been had I not had the experience of living for the summer in Kansas City. It was my first experience of another culture, another country, another city living on my own. It was part, I think, of growing up and uh, I'm really glad I did it and it was a kind of a first venture I undertook uh, in my um, then young life and and I'm uh, glad I did it and I'm glad that that it gave me this preparation for dealing with other societies, other communities, other cultures. I mean, When I'm asked the question, what do you, what's the most important quality for a diplomat, I always say curiosity. You have to go abroad with a curiosity, a desire to learn, not to think you know everything. And I guess my first brush with that kind of life was coming to Kansas City and actually having to ask people questions about why things were the way they were and getting their answers and then processing their answers and gradually developing my own view of the world.
0: This week, Irish Ambassador to the United States Daniel Mulhall reminisced about his first trip abroad 40 years ago as part of what is now known as the Summer Work Travel Program. For more about the Summer Work Travel Program and other ECA exchange programs, you can check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233. Why have you not subscribed already? And we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. Special thanks to Ambassador Mulhall and his colleagues at the Irish Embassy in Washington, D.C. for taking the time to meet with us. Along with Desiree Williamson, I did the interview and edited this segment. Featured music was Providence Real, Man of the House, Speed the Plow, by Aislinn, and Main Square, Look Inside, The Last Ones, Going To, and Anniversary, all by Jazar. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Until next time.